Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. He started the revolution in 2016. He said he's going to finish it in 2020. Bernie Sanders announcing this morning he is in running for president again in 2020. Hello, everybody. Every day, it seems, is a new Democrat running. This one, uh, not unexpected, and by my count, he is number 11 in the field. Uh, And we uh, expect to be uh, talking to one of the 11 uh, tomorrow on the Bill Press Show. Uh, Andrew Wang, who has not gotten as much attention as maybe he deserves, stop Yang, I'm sorry, stopping by the uh, studio tomorrow. You see, there, I didn't even get his name right, so he's got a long way to go. Um, but uh, making his way into the studio tomorrow. What do you say? Good to see you today. How about it? Lots and lots to talk about. Yes, indeed. Uh, as Donald Trump uh, announced and expected, uh, the first lawsuits filed yesterday, the first of many filed to uh, against his emergency declaration, pointing out that it is a violation of the Constitution. That lawsuit filed by 16 states led by California and California's Attorney General Javier Becerra, former member of the House Democratic Leadership, good friend of ours and a, and a, a guest here, a former guest on the uh, Bill Press show. Uh, very strong uh, report yesterday in that filing. And, of course, it was filed in the Ninth Circuit, the worst place in the country to file a lawsuit as far as Donald Trump is concerned, the best as far as the rest of us are concerned, because it's a very independent uh, and very uh, strong, fair, intelligent branch of the federal court system. Uh, So we count on the Ninth Circuit, we count on California and the other 15 states to do the job here uh, and overturn the stupid and unconstitutional emergency declaration. So much to talk about. We'll jump right into it from top to bottom. 
with your help and your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This is the yes. Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. So we just finished President's Day weekend, Bill. Uh, I know. Did, yeah. you, did you go see a movie this weekend? Absolutely, yes. Oh, good for I, you. I saw Cold War, which was incredible. Thumbs Phenomenal. up for Cold War. Well, you went to go see a movie on President's Day weekend. You were apparently in the minority because they have looked at ticket sales. Oh. This is the worst President's Day weekend for moviegoers in 15 years. Really? Huh. People aren't going to see movies. Not at, East, going to see not movies. at East Street. I've never seen as many people at East Street as I did uh, Saturday night. Well, it's not just President's Day weekend that was so <laughs> bad. In fact, the first seven weeks of 2019... Uh, it, we're at an eight-year low for moviegoers. Whoa. And everybody seems to be holding on to the fact that Marvel has two big movies coming out. One is coming out at the beginning of March, Captain Marvel, and then the Avengers uh, uh, second part of the, the Infinity War thing is happening in the summer. And so now people are just saying, we can't wait for those to get here because they are going to save the movie industry because it's been down so low. But the point of going to the movies now is seeing the movies before the Oscars. You would think. Yeah. You would yeah. think. But again, people people just aren't going. Uh, in San Diego, you know they have a SeaWorld there, and I think going to SeaWorld is a bad idea. I you should... don't think they do anymore. They do. No, they, do they? they? Yeah, they yeah but they do. don't do the whole show anymore. What do you mean? The dolphins. Well, the dolphins, they, they got rid of the orca shows. Oh, the orca. SeaWorld has orca. gotten rid of the orca right, shows. Orca. But SeaWorld yeah. still exists. It's still there. There's yeah. one in Orlando. There's one in uh, Texas, I think. And there's also one in San Diego. Well, there's a ride called the Bayside Sky Ride. It has nothing to do with actual sea life. It's just like you take it way up in a tower so you can see the whole thing. Well, yesterday, there were about a dozen people that got trapped uh. on the ride. It took them way up high, and then it, they got stuck. They yeah. got stuck. Above water, by the way. So yeah, they I know that ride. It's right up by Mission Bay, just a little north of the city of San Diego. I've never been on it, but I see it all the time. Well, there yeah. you go. Well, that's one place you don't want to get stuck. No, you don't want to get stuck up there. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Feel the burn all over again. Yes, indeed. Bernie Sanders making it official this morning. Vermont Public Radio. He is in. He is running for president on the Democratic side, of course, for 2020. He becomes, uh, by our count, the 11th announced candidate for the Democratic nomination for president of the United States. Uh, and Bernie telling Vermont Public Radio and telling the world he's soon to appear on CBS Morning News as well that he is here to complete the revolution that he started in 2016. Got a good start in 2016. Now's the time to finish the job in 2020. What do you say? Hello, everybody. With a bit of breaking news, we start off this Tuesday edition of the Bill Press Show, Tuesday, February 18. As always, we come to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day. Yes, indeed, uh, the other big news of the day, of course, is that uh, as we knew what happened and as Donald Trump um, forecasted or prophesied or predicted on last Friday when he announced that he was signing 
uh, this um, illegal, unconstitutional declaration of national emergency. There would be lawsuits filed against it. Yep, as uh, as quickly as yesterday, 16 states under the leadership of California uh, and Attorney General Javier Becerra filed in San Francisco federal court uh, a lawsuit to overturn this emergency declaration on the basis that it is a blatant um, violation of the Constitution, Article One of the Constitution, which gives the power to spend money and appropriate money and decide what agencies get how much money for what purposes to Congress and to Congress alone. And the president can't do like on the Monopoly board, just move money around once Congress has acted. Uh, there will be other lawsuits filed as well. That's the first one, and it's a big one with, again, 16 states. Uh, that's the number one. Uh, well, Bernie Sanders, number one. Number two, big story, of course, is that uh, emergency declaration, lawsuit against the emergency declaration. And we're all going to take a look, also take a look at what's happening down in North Carolina. You know, there are only 434 members of the House right now because that one seat, North Carolina's 9th Congressional District, um, is still unresolved because of allegations of voter fraud. And after the hearing yesterday, the first of two days of hearing by the State Board of Elections, it certainly looks like <laughs> there was massive voter fraud, and that election is going to have to be started from scratch. Uh, and neither Dan McCready, Democrat, nor Mark Harris, the Republican who engineered the voter fraud, uh, is likely to be confirmed for that seat. So all of that to talk about. That's why it's good to have you with us as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. As we join you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks, WCPT's got us out there in Chicago, and we're with you on WCPT in Chicago and the greater Chicago area and coast to coast uh, everywhere in this great land of ours. Direct TV, free speech TV, we are there with you as well. Yeah, it was the hometown radio that got the exclusive early this morning, already over an hour ago, Senator Bernie Sanders uh, calling in to Vermont Public Radio with the big news. The president has got to do is bring our people together, not divide us up. And that's certainly one reason I'm, I'm running. And, and the second reason is we began the political revolution in the 2016 campaign and uh, now it's time to uh, move that revolution forward and make sure that those that vision, those ideas, are implemented into policy. Yep. Okay. So we started it in 2016. We got the same ideas. We made a lot of progress. He says we got to finish the job in 2020, uh, a job that is made um, all the more critical because of the current resident of the Oval Office. Uh, I think the current occupant of the White House. Uh, is an embarrassment to our country. I think he is a pathological liar every day. Uh, he is telling one lie or another. Uh, and it gives me no pleasure to say that. But I also think he is a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, a xenophobe, somebody who is gaining cheap political points uh, by trying to pick on minorities, often undocumented immigrants. That kind of sums it up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, you yeah, know, Bernie? it's going to be tough to put all that on a bumper sticker, but uh, 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 it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty good. I think he uh, checks all the boxes there when you look, when you look at uh, 
a look at Donald Trump. Uh, I think the only one that he's missing is maybe uh, uh, adolescent, um, uh, because I, one of his, uh, one of Donald Trump's tweets this morning. First one I saw this morning. Actually, this this actually came out. I saw it this morning, but it, it was last night at ten twenty seven at night. Uh, Donald Trump tweeted out, "Remember this, Andrew McCabe didn't go to the bathroom without the approval of Leakin James Comey." Oh jeez, uh, I I do you think maybe Barron wrote that one? I mean, it does look sound like it was a twelve or a fourteen year old who wrote it, not the president of the United States. At any rate, so Bernie is in. What do you think? Um, you know, look, you know me. I'm a Bernie boy, still a Bernie bro, rather Bernie bro, uh, still a Bernie bro. I was a big Bernie bro in 2016. Uh, I have not committed to anybody in 2020, but you've got to admit that uh, Bernie's. Uh, presence in the 2016 primary was good for the party, good for the country. It was good for Hillary Clinton. It was good all the way around for the American people. He accomplished, no doubt, he accomplished his mission and then some. Uh, As I've talked about in my memoir from the left, as we've talked about on the show many times, I was right there in the beginning with the Bernie operation. It, It started in our living room about a block away from here. And, and the first time I talked to Bernie about it and then those meetings at our house uh, when I got a few political um, strategists together to advise Bernie on his, uh, his ideas about maybe running for president, that his mission was to get progressive ideas back in the, in the center of the Democratic Party agenda. He felt the party had moved too far to the right. It was too Wall Street-oriented. It was, it was too much like a Republican light party, and we had to get back to our roots, back for fighting for working-class Americans and middle-class Americans, back to talking about issues like minimum wage and single-payer health care, universal health care, single-payer, Medicare for all, whatever you want to call it, um, and uh, economic justice, uh, criminal justice reform, those basic gut issues. Uh, and uh, Bernie succeeded beyond his wildest dreams. Got over 12 million votes in the primary. One, I forget how many states now, got hundreds and hundreds of delegates uh, and really revolution and ended up with the Democratic Party platform uh, coming out of the, the convention with the, 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 the most progressive, most liberal party platform in the party's history, Bernie reinvented, reshaped the Democratic Party to, to, the, to the extent today that Hillary Clinton, of course, picked up those ideas. She changed a lot of her ideas to adopt Bernie's ideas in the primary and in the general election. And um, to the point that today, or first of all, in 2018, Democrats ran on what? They ran on Bernie's agenda, and we picked up 40 seats in the House. And today, running for president, almost every Democratic candidate that's that's announced so far supports basically the Bernie Sanders agenda, which is also the agenda of the Democratic Party. So he succeeded beyond his wildest dreams in, t- in terms of starting the revolution. And now he says he wants to finish the revolution. And boy, he's got, uh, I, I believe, uh, every right uh, to, to run and to see if that's what the American people want. Um, the difference this time is he's not going to have the progressive field or the progressive lane to himself, which he did the last time. Uh, and that's what we're going to have to see. And I think it's worth taking time, as much as I love Bernie Sanders, I think it's worth taking time to see 
Who else gets in? And who do we think, look, the number one goal is getting rid of Donald Trump. Who do we think is the best progressive to beat Donald Trump? Is it Bernie? Or maybe is it Kamala Harris? Or is it Elizabeth Warren? Or go down the list. Uh, and that's, we still don't know who's getting in. We still don't know. We haven't seen them all uh, in the field. Uh, and I think it's worth a little bit of wait. But good for Bernie Sanders for running again. Uh, a couple of things really quickly. Uh, we have on our Twitter feed, at BP Show, at BP Show, we put up a first poll. Uh, will you vote for Bernie Sanders in 2020? Uh-huh. Uh, I'll read the results as they stand now a little bit later on, but just want to let you know, go there to Twitter right now, vote at BP Show, at BP Show. I'd love to know how you feel about that. Yeah. Are you ready to climb on board right now for Bernie Sanders? no matter who else is running. Yeah, you can vote yes, no, or undecided. And I'll, I'll give you some of the results from that a little bit later on in the show. Also, while you were talking, I got an email. You probably got the same email from oh. Bernard Sanders. <laughs> uh, and he announced that, uh, obviously, he is running for president, as we just discussed, but that he is going to have a call tonight that everybody can RSVP, get in uh, 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 sort of on a conference call with Bernie <laughs> to hear what he has to say. Yeah, there it is. How do we do that? Uh, there's a link on the email. I mean, I, I'm still signed up to, you know, yeah. the, uh, from, from 2016, the, the campaign stuff. So that's why I yeah. uh, got the email. But there's a, a link there where you can uh, click and get connected into the call with uh, Bernie tonight. I think this is probably also to all members of uh, our revolution. Yeah, I think that's I, probably I, right. I'm, I've been a member from the beginning as well, yeah. Uh, it's from uh, Senator Bernie Sanders. Bernard. Please, Bernard Sanders. Please join me for a call tonight. That's it. Okay, I'll be there. Yeah. Uh, so sign up. So good for Bernie. He's in and uh, is going to make it uh, all the more all the more interesting. Uh, you know, I feel like... A little twinge of maybe guilt because I'm not right there right now for Bernie San for Bernie Sanders. But uh, I think <laughs> my first priority is getting rid of Donald Trump. And uh, I'll take anybody who's the strongest candidate against Donald Trump because we've got a great lineup of candidates. I'd be happy with any one of them over the guy that's uh, that's in there right now. Um and by the way, just to show, I guess while we're talking 2020, uh, just to show that there's going to be, we're going to have some good options and a variety of options uh, on the, among the Democratic field, um, all of whom are going to be left of center. There's not going to be any Joe Manchin running for president, right? Uh, but, for example, last night on CNN, uh, Amy Klobuchar, good person, good senator from Minnesota, uh, on CNN, CNN's town hall, uh, she carved out her own lane, which she said is the lane of pragmatism. So she said right away, you know, I'm not a democratic socialist. Kamala Harris said that yesterday, too, by the way. Uh, she thinks that uh, the Green New Deal, she said, is as aspirational. Medicare for all, this is Amy Klobuchar said, is something we can look forward to in the future. Uh, I think it's something we could do today. But at any rate, I'm just pointing out, Amy Klobuchar has, uh, her lane is uh, the middle of the road lane, if you will, or a more moderate Democrat. So we'll have lots of options to choose from. Um, Bernie Sanders, of course, will have the progressive lane. But again, not all to himself. Now, let's go back to the emergency declaration. Yes, indeed. Remember uh, Friday, Donald Trump predicting 
If this is what was going to happen, he was definitely going to get sued. And he did it in so it's a very a rambling, colorful fashion, uh, <coughs> of course, that got the White House press corps laughing at his uh, almost stand-up comic routine here. Um, this is not the sing song, but this is the one oh. where he said he expects to get sued. Yeah, okay. I expect to be sued. I shouldn't be sued. Very rarely do you get sued when you do national emergency. Uh, yeah. Uh, you should get sued, and you will get sued, because nobody has done a national emergency uh, for just to build a pet project, uh, a national emergency that Congress has already rejected and rejected and rejected and would never approve anyway. Uh, so here, like the little valley girl, Donald Trump, telling us what's going to happen. The order is signed. And uh, I'll f sign the final papers as soon as I get into the Oval Office. And we will have a national emergency. And we will then be sued. And they will sue us in the Ninth Circuit, uh, even though it shouldn't be there. And we will possibly get a bad ruling. And then we'll get another <laughs> bad ruling. And then we'll end up in the Supreme Court. And hopefully we'll get a fair shake. And we'll win in the Supreme Court, just like the ban. They sued us in the Ninth Circuit, and we lost, and then we lost in the appellate division, and then we went to the Supreme Court, and we won. And, of course, he doesn't know what he's talking about, because let's take the ban. The ban was not a case of the Congress saying one thing and the president, pardon me, the president saying, I don't care what Congress says. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want, no matter what the, and I don't care what the Constitution says. Uh, no, there was not a uh, constitutional issue there with the ban. Um, it was whether, well, maybe the issue was whether the president could do that unilaterally, uh, or was this really discriminating against people just because of their race or their religion? That was that constitutional issue. But it was not the, the issue here with the emergency declaration, which is the separation of powers. A point made by Attorney General Javier Becerra from California yesterday well, first of all, he said uh, it was Donald Trump himself who admitted there ain't no emergency. Donald Trump admitted in his declaration statement on Friday that there was no emergency. He said he didn't need to do this. Yeah, he said it. He said, I don't need to do this. I just wanted it to get done to get it done faster. Uh, that's why I did this. And of course, anyone often played three rounds of golf this weekend, proving that there was no emergency. Uh, Javier Becerra, again, attorney general, saying that even if there were an emergency, the president can't violate the Constitution. It's clear that Donald Trump himself doesn't believe that there's a crisis and a need for a national emergency declaration. But even if there is, that doesn't mean that he gets to violate the Constitution, the separation of powers in the Constitution, and start to raid monies that have been allocated appropriately by Congress. So yesterday, 16 states led by California filing this lawsuit. Um, you know there are going to be other organizations and, and other, and, and we haven't heard from the Congress yet. They're going to file probably Democrats in Congress. They're all lawsuits. They'll be, so there'll be others. They'll be joined. And this was filed, yes, Mr. President, in the Ninth Circuit because that's where California is. Okay. Let's, let's just, they didn't pick a court because they were just court shopping. No. California happens to be in the Ninth Circuit. That's where this lawsuit was filed. 
and it will wind its way up to the Supreme Court, where I think the Supreme Court, the question of the Supreme Court is, which has priority, the Constitution or Donald Trump? I, I think even for the Roberts Court, that that should be a very easy call. Um, it was, by the way, yesterday, there were protests all around the country. There's some 20-some protests in major cities around the country, including here in Washington, D.C., in front of the White House. Out in Denver, it was uh, a pastor, Pastor Tim Taylor, who led the protest. People of faith must come together. People of no faith must come together. Black people, white people, people of color, women. Yes, there it is, the Reverend Tim Todd. We're going to hear more of him. I love hearing uh, when reverends talk about how, you know, this is obviously a big deal for people who consider themselves to be religious, but also, you know, he says non-religious people. This you got to care yeah. about this yeah. too, right? Like he wants everybody on board in this effort, you know? Right. Which is nice to hear. Yeah, I know it's great to see that public response. Yeah. Um, and, and, and keep it up, keep it up. Because, again, this is a fundamentally important question about uh, the dictatorial powers of which Donald Trump is trying to establish, the dictatorial powers of the office of president of the United States. No, our founding fathers were very, very wise in uh, delineating which branch of government has which powers and the power to appropriate money, decide how that money is, is properly spent, is the power of Congress, not the president of the United States. And by the way, there are more and more stories about, so the money that he wants to take, about $6 billion, comes out of Defense Department spending, two different pockets in Defense Department spending, which has already, again, approved by Congress and allocated, among other things, to build new schools on military bases including a middle school on a base in Kentucky. So what Donald Trump is saying is, no, we're not going to build those schools for our military families. I'm going to build my vanity wall instead. Let's see Mitch McConnell defend that to the people of Kentucky. Uh, and let's see, see these people who profess to have such uh, love and respect for our military families uh, to defend taking money away from families, taking money away from schools for children of our military and putting it into Donald Trump's wall. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's more, the more we hear about this, the worse of an idea it is. And that's why White House counsel, Republicans in Congress, a lot of leading Republican and conservative commentators told Donald Trump, don't do this. Not to mention the fact that you are giving a green light to any future president, Republican or Democrat, to do the very same thing for any project that he or her, he or she might have. Uh, this is bad, bad news, bad policy from beginning to end. How about it? Let's take a look at North Carolina. Whoa. You know, remember, um, this goes way back, of course, to uh, November, last November. Uh, it took a while for several races to be resolved. But one of them in the country is still not resolved, and that is North Carolina's ninth. ninth. So um, Mark Harris, the incumbent Republican, it's been held by, this is a Republican seat like for decades. Mark Harris, a Republican, up against Dan McCready, the Democrat. Uh, but when the votes were counted, it turned out that there was a little hanky-panky going on. Uh, and so since last November, the, right, that, that seat has not been, race has not been called. 
The State Board of Elections yesterday held the first of the two-day hearings to look into what happened. And they determined, we'll hear some sound from it in just a minute here, but they determined that Mark Harris hired this political consultant who had a history of dirty tricks, but he'd been warned about this political consultant being a master of dirty tricks. He hired him anyway and put him in charge of getting out the vote. And this man's name was uh, McCray Dallas. McCray Dallas. Dallas. His idea of getting out the vote was he would go out to people and say, oh, do you have an absentee ballot uh, application there? Uh, Hey, give it to me. I'll mail it in for you. I'll fill it out and mail it in for you, which is against the law. You can't do that. He was paying 125 bucks, 150 bucks to people for every one they collected, and they figured out that he got well over a thousand uh, ballots that way for Mark marked for Mark Harris and voted. And Mark Harris, when the final count came in, he had a 905 vote lead, dude, over Democrat. It's unbelievable. Pretty, pretty clear. So uh, so Kim Strash is the executive director of the State Board of Elections. Uh, she talks about the role of uh, McCray Dallas. McCray Dallas hired workers that he paid in cash to collect absentee requests, to collect absentee ballots, and to falsify absentee ballot witness certifications. Yep. So he got these volunteers, he so-called volunteers, paid them to collect these ballots and turn them in for Mark Harris. Uh, <laughs> among those <clears throat> quote-unquote volunteers was McCray Dallas's stepdaughter, who says, yeah, she got paid. You paid to get absentee ballot requests? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And so can you sort of explain what your understanding, or at least the pay structure that, that you were paid by? I think we were paid by the amount of people we had registered. Yep, we were paid by the amount of paper that we turned in. Mm-hmm. It's just like in some places they used to send out voter registration people and they paid you 25 cents yeah. for everyone you brought in. Right, right, right. Whatever. These people are going out absentee ballots. They paid for how much? Well, how much did they get paid? Here again, Kim Strash. McCray Dallas paid generally $150 per 50 absentee ballot requests and $125 per 50 absentee ballots collected. Yeah, a lot of money they're putting out there, right? Holy cow, man. Yeah, right. So this election was bought and sold. This election, this whole thing has got to be invalidated. And either uh, they just named Dan McCready, the Democrat, uh, as the new congressman from uh, North Carolina's 9th Congressional District because this election was stolen from him, or bought from him, uh, uh, bought out from under him, I guess I should say, or those are going to have to declare a new election. But the question is, Mark Harris used the same guy in the primary. So if he did this in the general, he did, it, he did it in the primary, they may have to go all the way back, Let's go back. and have a new primary election yeah, and then a new general election. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and notice, just it's worth noting, isn't it interesting that everyone of these actual actual instances of proven voter fraud turns out to be Republicans behind it. 
And yet the Republicans are always claiming there's massive Democratic voter fraud. Haven't seen one case of that, but here's just the latest case of Republican voter fraud in the state of North Carolina. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. All right, what's going on with this national emergency? We'll find out more about it from a good friend from Think Progress. Rebecca Entralgo joins us uh, next, coming up next year. Uh, then John Bennett from the Roll, Roll Call, White House correspondent for Roll Call, will be joining us. And from BuzzFeed a little bit later, Zoe Tillman, to take a look at the courts and justice issues of today. Again, quick break. We'll be back with Rebecca and Trago. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. All right, make it a Tuesday, February 19, and you got it. The Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day online, on the radio, and on television, coast to coast. Thanks so much for being part of the program here. As we come to you from, again, Washington, D.C., our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Yes, the men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perone, a proud union family that uh, feeds, serves, and uh, provides for America's working families on all of our retail grocery chains across the country. Uh, so check it out uh, at their website, ufcw.org. And say hello to Rebecca Entralgo from Think Progress, uh, making her way here through the cold on this Tuesday Very morning. Cold. <laughs> hello, Rebecca. Nice hello, to see you. Hello, nice to see you too. We've got lots and lots to talk about. By the way, one little uh, correction here from uh, the uh, executive producer of the program. Uh, Carol just uh, texted me this morning to remind me that in talking about North Carolina, we're talking about election fraud, not voter fraud. That, <laughs> that's a very important good point. Good point. That very is, important that is. distinction. Good yes. point. All right. Thank you. Always got to be on your toes. Man. <laughs> um, Rebecca, we've been at it here before you arrived a little bit, stirring things up. And uh, we've got a few comments, Peter. Yes, indeed. Let's start, first of all, with our poll that we put up right at the yes. top of the show. Will you vote for Bernie Sanders in 2020? 53% of you say no. No. 35% of you say yes. 12% of you are currently undecided. This poll is going to run all day. So uh, if you listen, yeah, right. If you listen to the podcast and you're listening later on in the day, the poll is still up. So go vote and comment. I, and we got a I'd lot like of different know, comments. I'd like to know who they're going to vote for yeah. instead. Good but, question. But, Good yeah, question. But, well, I can tell but you some of we didn't ask them. that question. We but. didn't, but some people offered it up. Yeah. Uh, Peter on Twitter <laughs> says uh, Elizabeth Warren has his vote. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of people are also saying that uh, in the primaries, they will not vote for Bernie Sanders, but if he ends up being the Democratic hmm. nominee, he will definitely, they will definitely uh, vote well, for Bernie I would hope so. Bernie right. Sanders. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, then we, again, we, we also... Uh, Got some Trumpers in the comments as well, saying Donald Trump for 2020. It happens. It's Twitter. It's, it's the internet. Yeah, exactly. It's a cesspool. <laughs> Go away. Uh, and our buddy Phil says, Bernie may be something like Moses. He moves Democrats to the left, but he may not actually lead them to the promised land. Uh, we're on Twitter, at BP Show, where you can see that poll and comment on it right now. So go check it out. Yeah. Um, Phil's comment is, echoes a comment that I made uh a couple of weeks ago to the New York Times that uh, there's no doubt that Bernie's message will be the message of the Democratic Party in 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just not sure if Bernie will be the messenger right. to deliver the message. It could be, again, an Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris right. or um, Javier 
I mean, uh, Julian Castro, for all I know. Right. We haven't seen everybody in yet. And right. we don't know exactly. But that's why it was so essential for him to at least run in the primaries. Um, you know, there's no doubt... <laughs> his impact uh, his campaign in 2016 had on politics. I mean, like, starting off, you know, with Elizabeth Warren and all the people who announced their candidacy early, they, you know, they've already set, like, a hard line, like, no, like, corporate money, like, we're, you know, we're, you know, that, that I can't imagine that happening a couple of years ago. And so, you know, the party has moved slightly to the left, and I think Bernie has had a lot to do with that with his campaign in 2016. Um, so I think, you know, it was kind of necessary for him to, to run to sort of, I think he's going to set a litmus test for a lot of other Democrats, and that'll sort of uh, kind of weed out uh, and also sort of give voters an idea of where other candidates lie on the spectrum uh, on the left. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, Rebecca, you've written about this whole issue of the emergency declaration of the wall, which I want to ask you about. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, in a sense, we shouldn't even be having this discussion because the Donald Trump candidate, Right. Promise that Mexico was going to pay for the right. wall, so right. it was never going to be any question mm -hmm. about where the taxpayer dollars were going to come right. from, mm -hmm. because no taxpayer dollars were going to be needed. Right. Well, we know that's not going to happen. So Ted Cruz has come up with a whole new yeah. concept for uh, preventing taxpayers from having to pay for the wall. Right. Ted Cruz, and there's a similar bill in the House. I can't remember exactly who proposed it in the House, but. Um, you know, we Trump said Mexico will pay for a wall. He never said a Mexican national will pay for the wall. But that's what uh, Ted Cruz is uh, proposing. He wants El Chapo, uh, who is just sentenced to to pay for the wall. He has billions of dollars in assets. The only does he still? Well, the problem is they're in Mexico. Um, we can't really seize those assets. They're not ours to seize. Um, and that sort of this sort of legislation sort of hinges on. The U.S. relationship with Mexico, which is sort of, you know, tenuous right now. I, I, I don't foresee a situation where Mexico will be, yeah, we're, we're going to give up these billions of dollars and give them to you for the wall when we don't even want to pay for the wall in the first place. Um, so that's, you know, his sort of brilliant idea that he came up with. And he's very serious about it. Um, it's called the El Chapo Act, but it's, <laughs> but it's an acronym. I, I don't exactly remember what each letter stands for. Um, but he's he was very creative about this. Um, and... Uh, that was his, his sort of uh, workaround to get uh, Mexico to pay for the wall. But he's... Uh, he's so Mex it's a El Chapo Act. So it's the... Here it is. <laughs> Ensuring... I understand why you cannot remember all yes, of this. Yes, it's a lot. I, I'll be <laughs> El Chapo Act is Ensuring Lawful Collection of Hidden Assets to Provide Order. <laughs> You can see some congressional staff are sat Oh, yeah. They had all, a great time with this. <laughs> all night. They probably yep. ordered pizza in. They sat around. Yep. Yeah. And they yep. had the Figuring right, out the right words to go for each letter, yeah, sort of rearranging the it. The white yeah. paper up on the wall. Mm -hmm. and they were, Anyhow. And mm -hmm. then they came up with the El Chapo Act. Um, and they're, they, they say they're seeking $14 billion 14 in drug billion, profits yes. and other assets from El Chapo. Yes. But again, they'd have to convince Mexico mm -hmm. to go to give us that money from El Chapo's. Right. 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 And so, right now, the relationship between the two countries is like he hasn't been sentenced yet, has he? No, um, he was uh, he had his day in court um, and uh, he was found guilty on all guilty 10 and, counts. Yes. Mm -hmm. But now they have to decide so, how yes. much time and he's going to yes. go to federal prison. Yeah. So w what happens to his assets then? I mean, th that's a good question. He'll probably rot in prison, right? Right. Yeah. I, I, I doubt uh, he'll get to see any of that money back. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's up, it's up to Mexico, really. Um, uh, what what gets done with that money? Um, you know, I, I don't 
foresee a situation where the U.S. will, you know, you know, get their hand in that honeypot. But um, it, I mean, it could happen. But this bill is kind of seen as like a joke. In, and in I guess, of course, since he's been arrested mm-hmm. and now found guilty, that the flow of illegal drugs from Mexico into the United States has totally dried up. Correct. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd be curious to know how much. Uh, you really think they ha- it has? No, I mean, I, I'm, I think it maybe has had an impact. I mean, he's one of the biggest drug lords in the world. Um, I, I think you know there has to have had some impact on the number of drugs that come across the border. Um, but yeah, I would be curious to know just by how much. I mean, the you know the network of of, of drug dealers that were you know he was employing was huge, and uh, I'd be curious to see you know how much of that is being impacted um, by coming. Across I'd the border. be willing to bet you fourteen billion dollars mm-hmm. that it hasn't slowed down at all. Oh yeah, that would also not be surprising to me as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it was a massive operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. he, yeah, he was ahead of it, mm-hmm. but he He's wasn't. certainly not the only one. <laughs> he wasn't the one who was driving the yeah, trucks. that's true. Right? Mm-hmm. Or loading up the jalapeno pepper cans right. with right. heroin or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that's the reality. Right. Or as, you and know. And one thing president. we learned from his trial is that where where was he sending the stuff across? At ports of entry. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, not in the middle of the Rio Grande River. Right. Right or tunnels, which a ba- which a wall yes, wouldn't stop as right. well. So you know, both of the most common ways that drugs get across the border are not really stopped by a multi-billion-dollar wall. <laughs> um, you know that, that, and that's sort of you know what Democrats will bring up and other you know experts on national security or um, you know drug trafficking. You know they bring this up that a wall would not stop this but I think you know and we said this multiple times but I think the president has this sort of like ABC equation in his mind where he's like okay if we put this physical barrier up or steel slats or whatever concrete wall if we put this barrier up then that means no one can no if no one can climb over it it's great and that that's that that'll stop every single you know all the drugs from coming across the border all right so how serious an emergency do we have at our border um, I mean, there is an emergency at the border in that there are people um, being forced to wait three months to apply for asylum at the border. Um, but that was self-created by the president because they implemented this policy of metering at the border. So, you know, at certain ports of entry, um, you know, uh, border agents will be told you can only let in 20 people um, every day. And so, you know, we had this backlog of people who are fleeing domestic violence, gang violence in El Salvador, a lot of the Northern Triangle countries who are being told to either come back um, uh, at a different date, which is in violation of international asylum law. Um, or they're just waiting their time um, out at these at these at these ports of entry. So there is a crisis in that, and that asylum cases aren't being properly um, aren't being properly uh, adjudicated or aren't being properly processed. And there is and there's a huge immigration case backlog in the United States. I would argue that's a very you know and and you know an emergency that you know we have but, an eight hundred thousand dollar backlog. The point is not the emergency oh, no. to the our emergency. national security. Yeah, no, our, our national security. Donald Trump. No, Pretend. and that's why you have people like um, you know Adam Schiff go on uh, you know the cable shows uh, Sunday and say you know this is the only uh, you know case where Congress has denied funds, but the president has you know instituted a national emergency. I think the only other two cases were like war, um, but you know Congress had allocated had approved funds. So uh, right. So uh, when he signed the declaration of national emergency on Friday. Uh, Donald Trump predicted, of course, that uh, he would be met with a lawsuit, mm-hmm. uh, and he was right. uh, yesterday on the part of 16 states. It was Attorney General 
Uh, here he is, Javier Becerra, um, who filed the lawsuit mm -hmm. on behalf of 16 states, led by California, of course, in San Francisco federal court, uh, pointing out, first of all, that it, it, Donald Trump himself has admitted mm -hmm. there's no emergency. Right. Donald Trump admitted in his declaration statement on Friday that there was no emergency. He said he didn't need to do this. Right. And uh, the attorney general goes on. Even if there were an emergency, uh, there's still something called the Constitution. Mm -hmm. It's clear that Donald Trump himself doesn't believe that there's a crisis and a need for a national emergency declaration. But even if there is, that doesn't mean that he gets to violate the Constitution, the separation of powers in the Constitution, and start to raid monies that have been allocated appropriately by Congress. So uh, this will be heard first in federal court in San Francisco, the Ninth Circuit, appealed to the Ninth Circuit probably, and then wind all the way up to the Supreme Court. Right. But this is a fundamental question of separation of powers. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you see so many Republicans also opposing it, because they're worried about, you know, uh, the precedent that it'll set for a Democratic president to come in and say, you know, the national security, uh, there's a national emergency when it comes to climate change. And I'm going, you know, the government's going to seize, you know, fossil fuel plants or something. And they're worried about that. You know, uh, I think Elizabeth Warren has said that there's, you know, a national emergency when it comes to income inequality. Um, so, you know, they're sort of worried about the precedent guns that, yeah, yeah take, people taking away guns um but i mean nancy pelosi said mm -hmm. yeah i think there's a national emergency there are too many guns in circulation right boom right uh stephen miller i think was asked by chris wallace can you name a situation mm -hmm. you know or can you give us an example of like why this is a national uh, emergency and he was like do you know how many americans get or you know you know it's the number one leader of uh you know americans being killed in this country and uh he's like that's why you know there needs to be a national emergency but like like Nancy Pelosi said, uh, people, Americans with access to automatic weapons, um, I, I would argue, are like the biggest uh, uh, killers of Americans in this country. But um, they're worried about the president that'll set. And that's why, you know, he hasn't he has just really has no support from I mean, he has support from McConnell because McConnell will sort of back anything um, uh, the president does at this point. But, um, you know, people like Marco Rubio have come out against it. Um, and the only real supporters he has are, you know, Freedom Caucus folks and his real, you know, hardland supporters uh, who voted for him. And you mentioned Mitch McConnell, which mm -hmm. means that this resolution, uh, if Congress were not in recess this week, mm -hmm. right, celebrating week-long President's Day, <laughs> uh, if they were not... It's not uh, Congress Day, it's President's Day. <laughs> <laughs> There would be a uh, there would certainly be the resolution would already be introduced and probably be voted on in the House. It will next week. It will pass the House, mm -hmm. may not even get a vote in the Senate because Mitch McConnell, who for months has said no emergency declaration, bad mm -hmm. policy. We mm -hmm. should never go there. Mm -hmm. As soon as Donald Trump signed it, of course, he endorsed it. Right. Of course. Yeah. He tried he to back him off that Graham. ledge at first. And then, you know, he was. I will vote for it. I will. I will prevent a shutdown if I get my wall, and I will do it by national emergency. And I think McConnell just sort of gave in and was like, "Fine." Right. <laughs> um, by the way, one thing that uh, didn't get much attention, but you, you've written about, is that this um, the deal mm -hmm. which Donald Trump did end up signing, right. which did not include money for the wall. Therefore, uh, he says, "Oh man." It's going to look like I lost unless I come up with some little gimmick to show that I end up a winner. Mm -hmm. So I'll sign this and put the emergency declaration on top of it right. and take the $1.375 billion 
yep. in the res in the resolution mm -hmm. uh, or the compromise spending bill, whatever. And then I'll steal six billion from right. the Defense Department. Mm -hmm. I'll add those together, and I've got almost eight billion, which is more than I asked for. So therefore, I'm a winner. Right, right. This is, yeah, part of the Donald deal. Donald Trump's right, king of deals. Uh, his face-saving method. But, but I want to come back to this the spending compromise bill. Um, not everybody voted for that in Congress, right? No. no. Yeah, there there was, uh, you know, the, the group of freshmen, Democrats, Rashid Tlaib, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, Ayanna Presley, and Ahan Omar sort of released a joint statement together saying that they weren't going to vote for the compromise bill, not because they don't want to see the government funded and not because they don't, um, you know, support federal workers, but because they don't agree with giving DHS any more money than has already been allocated to them. Um, because they have, you know, such a history of misusing the funds, um, you know, there's 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 been uh, Office of Inspector General investigations into how they spend their money. I think uh, I, I wrote about at some point they had a, a contractor with this hiring company that was able to, you know, they were looking to recruit more Border Patrol agents. And they spent something like 14 million dollars to hire two people. Um, and it, they just mm. use their money in just, just interesting ways that do not uh, that are not efficient at all. And so, um, you know, there was a case that Senator Merkley unveiled that they were, you know, stealing hundreds of millions of dollars of funds from FEMA to sort of help pay for DHS. That was a couple months ago. HHS has sort of um, used funds for Alex Azar said, you know, he once proposed taking funds from Head Start, funds like funds like Head Start to expand um, HHS detention for um, unaccompanied minors. So, you know, they they are really bad at managing their money and how it's spent. Um, and so these four uh, freshman Democrats uh, sort of said we're not going to be voting for it because of um, what's included in the spending bill and also because it increases the number uh, of detention beds by 5,000 um, for ICE. Um, and even though that doesn't really mean much because ICE has been arresting and detaining immigrants at a higher rate than has already been allocated for months because there is a cap, but the cap's sort of arbitrary. ICE can arrest however many people they want and then go to Congress later and be like, okay, see how many people we arrested? We need to, we need more money. <laughs> and that's kind of been the case now with uh, with the, all these DHS uh, agencies and, and misusing funds. Right. You know, um, one, you, you talked about when we started, uh, the nature of the emergency at the border, particularly mm -hmm. so many families coming right. these days, and right. and the backlog of families in terms of either getting court hearing or even getting into the country or being right. able to request asylum, mm -hmm. which really represents, uh, and I mean this is your beat there at the Think Progress, it really represents a, a, a big change in the character of, or the nature of immigrants, I guess, coming across the border. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember in California, it used to be mainly single men coming right, from Mexico to work. to work in the fields, mm -hmm. right? Right. Uh, now, the population, immigrant population, is primarily Central America mm -hmm. from countries that are, I was reading last night about Honduras. Honduras is like the most dangerous yeah. country on the planet. Mm -hmm. Honduras and El Salvador both are just yeah. horrible, horrible countries. It's something, I, I, I saw that, I don't remember the exact figure, but it's like, in this country, the number of deaths per 100,000 is like five mm -hmm. per 100,000. In Honduras, in, in the part of Honduras where these people are coming, it's like 190 mm -hmm. people per 100,000. Yeah. That's the, the range of 
because of the drug the the, the drug wars there. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so this is what these people are fleeing that they 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 know their chances of getting killed in the crossfire of the drug wars down there are pr- pretty bad or pretty right. good, whatever. Right. Uh, and they don't want to be there. They, they, they don't know how they can escape. The only escape is coming north, hopefully, mm-hmm. to a better life. Yeah, I mean, you. I, the thing I always have to tell people who sort of argue that, you know, if you want to come to the country, you have to do it legally. I mean, imagine the situation in your home life and your, in, in, your, in your country of origin has to be so bad for you to pack up your entire life, force your children to walk, you know, hundreds of miles <laughs> away yeah. um, and and start a new life. And it's scary. You don't know. You know there's a presidential administration that is, you know, attacking uh, asylum seekers and, uh, you know, and many of them on many of them don't know about what's happening in the U.S. There was, you know, a couple of stories that the New York Times did asking members of the caravan, like, do you know what's happening with, you know, uh, what the what President Trump has done for asylum seekers in the U.S. And they they don't they're like, no, we just want to leave. Like, we just need to leave. And um, you know, at at a certain port of entry, um, I think it was San Ysidro, um, the. Uh, Trump administration has instituted their remain in Mexico policy. So if you come to that port of entry um, in San Ysidro, you have to uh, wait out your asylum claims. Normally you would wait them out. What what used to be is you would claim asylum in the United States and you would be released into the country. Uh, Trump hates that because it's catch and release. But you would you would be set uh, usually with an ankle monitor, ankle monitor bracelet or you would be uh, sent to live with uh, family members who already live in the country, and you would have a court date that you would come, and you would go to your court dates, and that's how you would, you know, continue the process. But the president doesn't like that. He believes that, you know, when people are released to the country, they they do crimes. They don't go to their court dates, which is not true. Um, there's about a ninety percent, you know, rate of immigrants coming to their court dates um, when they're set, and uh, so that's that's the way it used to be. Now, if you go to that port of entry. You claim asylum in the U.S., you get sent back to Mexico or sent to Mexico, not back there because you're not coming from there. Mm-hmm. You are sent to Mexico and you have to wait out your case, which could, which could take months, could take a year in Mexico, um, which is has proven to be a country that is very hostile towards migrants from Central America. Um, there have already been cases of people who, you know, migrants are vulnerable in Mexico. And so they're sought out by other gangs in Mexico. They're sought out by... Um, so, you know, sometimes uh, there was a case where Mexican authorities didn't really know how to handle the situation, and so they were putting bracelets around migrants to know who um, was an asylum seeker, and that's a very, you know, uh, a very um, dehumanizing way of knowing who is an uh, who is who is a migrant and who can easy, easily be targeted. So, you know, this is uh, the Remain in Mexico policy is incredibly unsafe for these people. Um, so it's it's like either way, <laughs> asylum is really under attack, and it's it's it and and the U.S. has had a huge part to do with that. Has Donald Trump's bluster and attacks on, on immigrants slowed the number of families coming in? I mean, the number of families coming in has been going down for I, for for decades. I think the highest um, the highest number of uh, migrants coming across the border illegally was like in 2000, 2001. That was like the peak, and it's been steadily decreasing ever since. There was a drop um, after the election, um, but I mean, he still makes it out to be this huge national crisis when really, like you said, in 2000, 2001, it was mainly single men from Mexico coming to work and send money back to their um, send money back to their uh, families in mm-hmm. Mexico. You, yeah, again, we don't really see that anymore. It's mainly you know families um, uh, from El Salvador and Guatemala, Honduras. 
um, who are who are coming across the border now for for different reasons. Um, but economic opportunity being another reason, but also just fleeing general violence. Right. Well, Rebecca, uh, it's a changing it, – it, it, it changes like every day, uh, <laughs> and Donald Trump keeps talking about it every day and, and trying to convince all of us um, what, a, what a serious emergency it is. It's funny. He never talks about the border without immediately – Segueing into talking about rapists and criminals right. and drug dealers right. and uh, you know so you got, right. got to use those fear tactics mm-hmm. to try to convince like a us. Scene out of a movie. Uh, exactly <laughs> right, and we could write the script ourselves. Thanks so much for coming in today. Think Thank Progress. You. Thinkprogress.org is where you can follow Rebecca and Chargo's work. John Bennett covers the White House for Roll Call. He joins us next here at the top of the hour. Stay tuned. Going to go anywhere. Hour number two. This coming up is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We started the revolution in 2016. We're going to finish it in 2020, says Bernie Sanders, jumping into the Democratic primary today, this morning, on Vermont Public Radio. Hey, what do you say? Hello, everybody. Uh, it is The uh, Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. With all the news of the day and the big breaking news this morning, Bernie Sanders again announcing uh, that he is indeed joining, no, no big surprise there, joining the field already. It's up to 11 now with his entry uh, for the Democratic Party nomination for 2020. And yes, as Donald Trump expected and predicted, uh, the first lawsuits filed yesterday by 16 states altogether. Uh, to block the president's emergency declaration uh, as an abuse of powers and an undermining of the Constitution. Um, That lawsuit filed by California's Attorney General Javier Becerra. With all of that big news, particularly White House-related, we're so glad to welcome to the studio John Bennett, who covers the White House for Roll Call. Hello, John. Hey, were, thanks for having me. Were you down uh, to Mar-a-Lago over the weekend? No, I was you? not. No, I was here. Yeah, what? Uh, what? Uh, been... A very uh, much needed uh, three-day weekend. You left your golf clubs here at home, huh? Or I, I sure did. It was a little too cold to play <laughs> here. Uh, but, yeah, right. Um, you know, uh, it's just been such a crazy three months, really, since, I mean, they're all crazy these days, but yeah. since uh, Chuck and Nancy and the president were in the Oval Office, I guess that was December 11th, um, just kind of hit the chaos button, and up until Friday, when when Sarah Sanders told us uh, she had done a, a Fox News hit um, out on the North Lawn, and and she gaggled for a few minutes after that's the new briefing yeah. uh, out in the driveway, um, yeah. and she told us that the president twenty minutes earlier had signed the spending bill to avoid the shutdown. Um, 
it was just uh, I think we were all trying to finish what we were doing and start our weekends because it's just been a crazy three months. Oh yeah, it's yeah. not it, with the shutdown, uh, the shutdown and and the border talks, um, but then everything else that that we've had. And it's not over yet, John. At any rate, oh I know, John. It was for, just a pause. Was just a pause. <laughs> so we'll catch up on that and with all of you and your comments on Twitter at uh, BP Show. All the latest, but first. Peter with this the big headlines the of the day. Court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of the stories making news. Hey, Bill, it's cold out there. It is cold. Yeah. It's not uh, just cold here in cold. Washington, D.C. It's also cold in Las Vegas. Las Vegas no. reported over the weekend they got snow. What? They got snow. And by the way, it's the second time this February that they got snow, and it's the third time overall this winter. Now, just to, just to be clear. I can't imagine the strip. I know, snow. Right? Well, here's the deal. They didn't get a ton of snow. Let me just be clear. They didn't get a ton okay. of snow. At McCarran International Airport, they did get some snow. None of it really stuck. But out just outside of Las Vegas, in Henderson, Nevada, mm-hmm. they got about an inch of snow. And, again, this is not an area that's used to getting any snow at all. Well, but people, here- people were betting on how much snow would fall. <laughs> It's <laughs> uh, a good some point. Made a lot of money on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, I didn't really <laughs> think about that. Uh, did you go outside last night? By the way. No. Nope. Well, no. If you if you if you got a chance, the moon. Oh. It was a big moon out last no, night. No, 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 no. I saw it when I woke up this morning. Yeah, wasn't that crazy? Oh, incredible. That was really beautiful. Crazy. Beautiful. Yeah, right. it was a big, big moon. They weren't really sure what to call it. The super moon, a snow moon. A full moon, but it was a very, very it large moon out there. Yeah, yeah. it was a be- beautiful moon last night, if you were able to see it. Or some of us who wake up very early got to see it this morning <laughs> as well. Uh, and uh, just a, an update, because last year we talked a lot about the uh, Cranston wildfire in California yeah. that caused so much damage. Yesterday, a man pled guilty to starting that fire, two counts of arson. Uh, Brandon McGlover is the guy's name. He was uh, sentenced to 12 years and four months in state prison for starting that fire. Caused a lot of damage. Doesn't seem like a severe enough punishment for starting a fire. Jesus, what an idiot. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. I am in, said Bernie Sanders this morning to Vermont Public Radio about two hours ago. Starting out early, one of the people of Vermont to hear it first. Uh, uh, He is now about to make the same announcement on CBS Morning News. If he hasn't already done so, Bernie Sanders in as the 11th, uh, by our count, announced candidate for the Democratic nomination for 2020. As he said, he started the revolution in 2016. Now's the time to finish it. Hello, everybody. What do you say? This is the Bill Press Show here, the heart of the resistance from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. on this Tuesday, February 19. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Join me in saying hello to uh, John Bennett, who covers the White House, that crazy scene down there, for Roll Call. Uh, and it's been a roller coaster ride uh, lately here, John, for sure. It yeah. really has. Um, it, it's hard to, you know, a colleague uh, said the other day down in the, the basement where, where we work um, that something that happened, I think, in November, December feels like yesterday and feels like eons ago. 
and and it's because like you said it's a roller coaster you're up you're down you're upside yeah. down um we'll see if if this week is, is any quieter here um he does the president will have to prepare for the Kim summit um he has some meetings this week about that the China trade uh, new a new trade round here in Washington this week he's going to be closely monitoring that um and sometimes after these chaotic events and this has been a three month event we get they at least try to have a quiet week over there and the aides will they'll tell you in so many words but then the president erupts yeah and right. so you know by by thursday or, or especially friday you know we could have you know the the 30 minute pool spray and the mini presser and and as the president would say we're off to the races uh we uh i started ask, uh, asking about whether or not you were down at mar-a-lago over the weekend um and you were not but certainly um Donald Trump was, and I saw a note yesterday. So he played three rounds of golf this weekend. Uh, right. I would say so much for the emergency. Um, and yesterday was, according to one report I saw, the 226th day of his presidency that he has spent at one of his properties. Uh, yeah, I don't know how many days of presidency so far, but that's a lot of time. And it's it's very expensive. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. if if you that's just, either Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster or Sterling International, we right. have one of his properties. Right. Yeah. And and the thing about uh, South Florida is, um, and I didn't realize this immediately, Mar-a-Lago and the Trump Golf Club are two separate properties. You now he yeah. motorcades right. between one, them. Yeah. So the Secret Service, I mean, that's a bigger footprint because you got to secure two. Yeah, sites. Right. Um, and it's expensive. Of course, you know, there is some reimbursement that goes on. Um, how much is always murky. Uh, you know, we the Freedom of Information Act, we know a little, uh, but it, it, it's it's costly for the taxpayers to go. The flip side is um, sometimes the president seems to be uh, a little more relaxed when he gets back. Um, you know, he's out playing golf or, or talking to people at the club for five, six hours. He's not tweeting. Um, so I, th I think it's kind of a double-edged sword, but it is very expensive for the taxpayer for him to, to go to these places. Or, uh, and Peter, you mentioned this yesterday, he's waiting in line at the omelet station. Um, I saw that, yes. I, <laughs> when Peter mentioned yesterday, I hadn't seen it yet, but I saw it last night. He's standing there at this omelet station waiting. <laughs> you would think the president of the United States would not have to wait in line for his omelet. You would think but. he would pre-order. Like they would, it, look, it appears or, to be that he is he's as we all do at an omelet station, you know, telling the the yeah, gentleman yeah. what to put in his omelet. Right. By the way, it's the <laughs> it's the tackiest, crappiest looking omelet station I have ever seen. I You'd think at Mar-a-Lago there'd be some, or maybe that I was had a the golf same, course. I I I I, a little. I wondered aloud this weekend when the last time there was you know like a, 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 an upgrade, a renovation to keep it looking modern on the inside, at least that part because it. It didn't look. Um, no, it didn't look very. Maybe that I don't know. Maybe it's a restaurant in the golf club, and and it, guys just know. want to play. I don't know. But I had the same thought. It didn't look like <laughs> what we have been sold. I have a couple of observations I'd like to make. Oh yeah, about the picture of the omelet bar. Oh, oh if okay, I could. Right. Because if you if you look at the picture, yeah, uh, there's the guy making the omelet. Behind uh -huh. him is a giant poster. Yes, um, guess with who? Donald Trump on mm -hmm. and it says, "Can you walk the walk?" And I'm not sure exactly what it's promoting, but it's. It's some yeah, other I saw that, yes. some other grift. Yeah. Also yeah. on the omelet bar, two giant bottles of ketchup. <laughs> 
also noticed that. <laughs> All right. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that. that Donald Trump is the type of person to put ketchup oh. on his eggs, but that's the type of establishment that we're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll throw in, my wife noticed uh, the pan on the right. Uh, it looks like a stainless, not a stainless steel, but a, a, just a, a silver pan. It is, it's, it's so stained and old. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that, that you have as a as a single man, and then as you move in and and move toward mm. and get married and everything, um, your significant other wife says, "Okay, this pan has to go. Yeah. It, it's very stained, <laughs> and it doesn't. I don't think I would want an omelet <laughs> from that pan. It's a good point. Just, I'm looking at it right now. It looks it looks terrible. Like yeah. if they tried to serve me that at an omelet bar in a hotel, uh, a Holiday Inn airport hotel, <laughs> I would have a problem with it. Uh, so. Uh, you mentioned uh, that um, uh, Donald Trump may not have been tweeting that much over the weekend, although he tweeted a good fair deal. Uh, this morning, he's already out there um, just a few minutes ago. He says, quote, as I predicted, 16 cities, he says, whoops, cities, whoops, whoops, yes. led mostly by open border Democrats and the radical left, have filed a lawsuit in, of course, the Ninth Circuit, California, the state that has wasted billions of dollars on their out-of-control fast train with no hope of completion, seems in charge. But, of course, the high-speed rail project in California has nothing to do with right the filing of a lawsuit on the border. He's just got to get that little dig in. Right. And as I pointed out several times, yes, the lawsuit was filed in the Ninth Circuit because that's where California is. The Ninth Circuit is California, Hawaii, and Arizona, I believe, or maybe a couple of other states. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. this is the West Coast. Mm-hmm. That's where California is, Donald. This is not unexpected, this lawsuit. Right. Maybe surprised that it happened as fast as it did, and yeah. they were able to round up 16 states. That's right. Uh, I, and they knew this at the White House. They knew this was coming. They probably didn't know it was coming um, this quickly. And I think the important thing here uh, in the lawsuit um, you know, everyone kind of picked up on his comment in, in the Rose Garden in that I'll just call it wide ranging and chaotic announcement that became a, a press conference on You're Friday. You're being very kind. <laughs> well, wait, <laughs> it's, that's the job sometimes. Yeah. Where <laughs> um, uh, he said, I didn't have to do this right now. I yeah. just wanted to speed this up and do the wall faster. Yeah. Um, a lot of people latched onto that Friday. And that's going to be part of this. Uh, and, uh, you know, I saw some stories, you know, experts and, and, and legal analysts and former folks who worked in past administrations saying this will be the first paragraph of the lawsuit. Well, it's not. It's the sixth. This comes <laughs> down to a president's ability to to circumvent Congress's intent on how they appropriated money. This is I, your previous guest said this is a separation of powers fight. That's what it's going to be. Now, his comment that he didn't need to do this right now will be a part of all this. But right. the crux of this is the, all, the powers of the office of the presidency and, 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 and the extent, especially this, that the Supreme Court will want to get into the business of judging whether there is a, a national emergency. Will the Supreme Court, who probably will ultimately decide this, if, this, if, if he can do this, will they get into the business of being immigration experts and border security experts, I don't think they will. I don't think so either. I think this is a fundamental, as you uh, indicated, and as Javier Becerra, the Attorney General of California, indicated yesterday, it's a fundamental constitutional question. It's a separation of powers question. Yeah. Article 1 of the Constitution clearly gives the power of the purse to the Congress. 
That's and right. if the Congress says, okay, we're going to give this much money to the Department of Defense for these to build it, for, for example, some of this money would go to building these schools on these military bases. Mm-hmm. The president, the question is, can the president say, no, I'm going to take that money that Congress has allocated for that specific purpose, and I'm going to spend it instead to build my wall. That's That really gets to um, something that the founding fathers certainly were aware of, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why they built these limits into uh, our system of government. Javier Bracero yesterday, the two points you made, I just want to uh, say, underscore uh, how you're absolutely right about both. First, in, in filing this lawsuit yesterday, he pointed out that even the president sort of admitted this paragraph six, mm-hmm. right? There ain't no emergency. Donald Trump admitted in his declaration statement on Friday that there was no emergency. He said he didn't need to do this. But to your point, even if there were, says Becerra, it's clear that Donald Trump himself doesn't believe that there's a crisis and a need for a national emergency declaration. But even if there is, that doesn't mean that he gets to violate the Constitution, the separation of powers in the Constitution, and start to raid monies that have been allocated appropriately by Congress. So who knows? But, you know, um, Donald Trump keeps saying... Well, this is like the ban back right. um, when the courts early on, the courts said, no, this ban is no good. Then it gives us the Supreme Court, and they finally did authorize the refugee ban, a, a Muslim ban. A version of A version, exactly, <laughs> in, to, some, to some extent. I think the better parallel is, and the more relevant parallel, is the repeal of Obamacare where the Supreme Court, the Robert Supreme Court, said, no, right. you can't do that right. the way you did it. So if it comes down to a fundamental constitutional question, uh, I don't, we never know which way the Supreme Court will go, but I don't think it's automatic that they're going to support Donald Trump's emergency declaration. I don't either. And if you look at uh, Chief Justice Roberts and how he's been voting on some some higher-profile cases lately, yeah. He is turning into something of, um, I, I'm not ready to call him a swing vote, but on on some matters, uh, you know, where like this, where it's a constitutional matter, um, you know, where it's 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 maybe this president willing to go a little further on these constitutional matters. Um, it looks like Roberts is is turning into someone who will stand up to Trump, buck his own party. I know they've been frustrated with Roberts at the White House. And I think they, I think they, and this is something I'll be asking about when I get over there later. Um, how concerned are they about you know Roberts' recent votes and mm-hmm. and whether they they might lose a five four decision here and how much they factor that in to doing this now? Right. Um, because the president said he didn't have to do this now. They just want to speed this up. Um, so so I think I think the Roberts vote is is, is the one that really matters here. Uh, what are you picking up at the White House about? Are they shaken at all by Andrew McCabe's announcements or, or his um, interview over the weekend, his new book coming out called The Threat this week uh, on 60 Minutes with uh, Scott Pelley the other night? You know, he said that at, after uh, Trump fired Comey, the director of the FBI, that at the Department of Justice, in conversations with the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, 
They discussed whether or not they should try to round up enough votes to invoke the 25th Amendment and whether or not Rosenstein himself might wear a wire to his next meeting with Trump in the Oval Office. I just want to jump in really quickly yeah. while we're talking about Andrew McCabe because he was on the Today Show this morning and he was being interviewed by Samantha uh-huh. Guthrie. And uh, here's a clip where he says he told the Gang of Eight that he had opened uh, a counterintelligence investigation into Donald Trump. And here's, here's that exchange between Andrew McCabe mm-hmm. and Savannah Guthrie. I know you and other members of your team briefed the so-called Gang of Eight. These are the leaders of Congress in the days right. after Comey was fired about the Russia investigation. So it would have been the majority leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, and Democratic counterparts. Did you tell them that you had opened a counterintelligence investigation into President Trump? The purpose of the briefing was to let our congressional leadership know exactly what we'd been doing. Opening a case of this nature, not something that an FBI director, not something that an acting FBI director would do by yourself, right? This was a recommendation that came to me from my team. I reviewed it with our lawyers. I discussed it at length Did with you the tell Congress? General, and I told Congress what we had done. Did anyone object? That's the important part here, Savannah. No one objected. Not Whoa. No one objected. No one objected. Not Paul Ryan, not Mitch McConnell. They saw themselves that there was a danger there. I mean, this is pretty, this is pretty stunning stuff. Right. That's the kind of stuff they worry about at the White House is is how McCabe, the comments of McCabe and others could show, you know, fissures uh, between Trump and McConnell. And, and Ryan's gone now. But, you know, you would think Kevin McCarthy, who's now the, the House GOP leader, knew about this, too. Right? Uh, um, so and, and no one objected. That's what they worry about at the White House. They, they want. They, they, they want to portray... I think, that, I think in the Gang of Eight, McCarthy would have been that's there. That's true. That's true. So McCarthy would have been there. Yeah. They don't, they don't want the base to think that Trump is losing the party. They, they, it's all about portraying the strength to the base and that he can still get the wall done. Uh, he can still get you know down the road some of the other things he ran on, infrastructure, uh, more tax cuts, um, that he still has the party, that he hasn't lost the party because as soon as he's viewed, especially by the base, as we've talked about, that 35 to 42 percent that he always has, he can't win without them, can't win re-election without them. Um, but he, he also, to have those people be energized and turn out in the numbers they did last time, in the right places especially, they can't have the president look like he's lost power or sway or the ability to, to turn um, what he wants to do in, into promises, uh, his promises into actual reality and with something like the wall that actually matters because let's say the house does this resolution of disapproval it passes mm-hmm. with with democratic votes um and some republican votes and pro- i believe i think so some some folks yeah. in vulnerable uh mm-hmm. races will, will uh, some republicans probably will the senate rules um it might take a few weeks uh but the democrats can get this thing on the floor and um how uh, it, it, it would be referred to the committee, and I'm, I m- might be judiciary. I, I, I don't know which committee. If the committee doesn't take it up, I believe, in, in 20 business days or, or legislative days, um, then it one senator can refer it to the floor calendar. It's non Then a motion to bring it up for a floor vote, it's non-debatable, and then it can pass with a simple majority. So you've got 48 Democrats, mm. yeah. and you figure you've got mm. Collins, Murkowski, Cory Gardner, Republican from Colorado, is going to be in a very tough re-election fight in 2020. 
Those are three that I can name off the top of my head. Senator Lamar Alexander from Tennessee is retiring. He opposes the national emergency. That's four already. Uh, Chuck Grassley. So we're let's already say, at five. So let's let's say they could get a pass in, in both houses of Congress, and the president vetoes it. But still, I mean, that's a statement, right? It's it's still a statement. He'll veto it. Um, they don't have the numbers. To, it appears to the numbers to override. I mean, just right. look at the Senate. They would need 19 Republicans to vote with 48 Democrats to get the 67. But it it it, it would be another stinging moment for Trump. Um, the shutdown, the the previous shutdown where he reopened the government and really didn't get anything. Um, you know, the White House will tell you the spending bill. Uh, Nancy Pelosi said not, she'll give him one dollar for the wall. And then she gave him one point three seven five. Yeah, I mean, but but that that wasn't you know, he he asked for five point seven um, and it was not for his wall. The one point three seven five. It's for know, fencing. Repair right. some fencing. repair some fencing and fifty five mm-hmm. miles of new fencing. Um, but, you know, the coming back to McCabe, I mean, uh, nothing happened as a but just the idea and Rosenstein, he he appointed Rosenstein, right? Right. McCabe Correct. was a holdover. Correct. McCabe was Rosenstein was his guy. That Rosenstein was so concerned about his firing of James Comey and telling Lester Holt, telling the Russian ambassador the next day he did it to get rid of the Russian right. investigation, right. telling Lester Holt he did it to get that monkey off his back, that they were so concerned that the president basically was committing acts of treason. Right. I mean, that's what they that they may not have used that word, mm-hmm. but that he was cooperating with the Russians against the interests of the United States. They were so concerned that, yes, exactly that, that he was he was operating um, for Russia's interest over the interest of the United States. Right. That they would have that conversation. Um, you know, it's an open question whether someone was making a very, very dark joke at high levels of government and McCabe took that seriously or if but but even that they brought it up in the room is pretty striking and he also pointed out he said on that point that roses i mentioned it once and then he mentioned it a second in a right. second meeting so it was on his mind <laughs> clearly even if this was a very dark half serious joke it right. was on his mind and you know sometimes in life you float something that's a little out there to see if anybody agrees with you watch how rosenstein leaves the justice department right he he apparently has, has has told some folks he thinks it'll be within the next I guess calendar month, so the next Mid- thirty days. Mid March, he said. Mid March, yeah. Um, well, someone else said that once upon a time. That was uh, <laughs> that was James Mattis. Right. He was going to stay for thirty mm-hmm. days. Oh yeah. Um, hopefully, we can get someone confirmed really quickly. He was out in a week or two. We've already seen the president lashing out at Rosenstein indirectly, well, kind of directly on Twitter. Clearly, doesn't believe Rosenstein's denial here. Right. Uh, McCabe's clearly under the president's skin. And when that happens, people have a way of uh, no longer being in their office. So this could this could be another week that gets taken over as they want it to be about the Kim summit and the China trade mm-hmm. talks. Yeah. Um, uh, this could get taken over if the president continues to see Andrew McCabe, who's on a book tour. So he's going to be everywhere this week. And the president is going to see him. On all the screens he's had installed at the White House where he watches cable news um, pretty much throughout the day, uh, will the president force Rosenstein out early? And then what does the deputy AG do as soon as he's no longer the deputy AG? Uh, And uh, just to point out that uh, at 1027 last night, in terms of your point that Andrew McCabe is on the president's uh, radar, uh, at 1027 last night, I can't find exactly what I've read it a couple of times, he, he, he tweeted out, Remember, uh, Andrew McCabe 
wouldn't even go to the bathroom uh, without permission from Leakin James Comey. Right. So what the president and this is Trump 101 discredit every critic and every foe um, to the best of your ability. And that's what he's trying to do here with McCain. Although that that tweet sounds to me like maybe Barron wrote it. It does sound like something would come from a 12-year-old. That right does about. happen. That yeah. does happen. And what, <laughs> sometimes what we find with the Mar-a-Lago weekend tweets is there are fewer of them, but they, uh, I mean, he's talking about treason. He's, he's making allegations about treason. So they, they are delivered with a heavier... Yeah. Uh, heavier, but everything's a, it's like a Rocky movie. Everything's a haymaker because he's he's, he's trying to get to the golf course or, or do do other things. All right, a couple of the things I heard before I let you go. Number one, uh, so we haven't heard from Michael Cohen. We thought we were going to see Michael Cohen testify. He's now delayed his testimony three times because uh, allegedly he's recovering from a, a shoulder surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did come back up last night when uh, Lenny Davis, one of his attorneys was asked whether or not Michael Cohen is counting on, like Paul Manafort seems to be, and Roger Stone seems to be, a presidential pardon. Landy Davis says, no way. Would a pardon if Trump pleaded with him to take it? Why? Because <laughs> it would be dirty. Why? Because the man giving the pardon is dirty. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yes, I think this Do you bridge... believe that? I do believe that. I think this bridge has been um, sufficiently torched <laughs> and no longer exists. And I, I think the president is is pretty much done with with Michael Cohen. I, I don't I don't see him extending that pardon. And Michael Cohen, by the way, the March deadline, March six, is when he has to report to federal prison. Right. So if he's going to testify in front of Congress, his time is running out. I, I, it's interesting um, if you know the president's going to be in in Vietnam next week for the the summit uh, with with Kim, the North Korea uh, nuclear talks. Would the committee hold these hearings next week? As you said, there is a deadline. Um, uh, Mr. Cohen has to get to to prison. Um, you know, would they hold th- these these damaging hearings for the president by definition while he's on foreign soil? Why not? Um, you know, the custom of not insulting a president uh, uh, when he's on foreign soil. Uh, well, it would be in- it's interesting to see if, How if about the Democrats the president not on. insulting us. While well, he's there on is that. You read soil. my mind. That's where I was headed. Um, <laughs> the president certainly doesn't mind insulting them when he's on foreign soil. No, so he I don't... continues to tweet while he's uh, overseas. He's never he's never but slowed down at all. That's right. something that that House and Senate Democrats are going to have to think seriously about, or if they try to to make okay. the following week Michael Cohen week, which I think they all would right. love to do. All right. Now, Donald Trump is going over to the summit, the second summit with Kim Jong-un. Uh, the first one, I think the evidence is pretty clear. It was good that they talked. I don't want to say they should not have talked. I'm, I'm glad they did. I don't think anything really happened as a result of it, substantively on the nuclear front at any right. rate. Right. That, that's certainly what every U.S. intelligence agency that looks at it, monitors it, puts a satellite over it, listens to what they're doing with submarines— yeah. Talks to our allies in the region who have yeah. the same kinds of intel uh, capabilities with satellites and, and other things. No one thinks they've done much of anything to start dismantling the program. They haven't uh, haven't tested any missiles, but maybe That's they true. didn't have to. Right. But they're still building them. They, they haven't destroyed any missiles. They haven't shut down any sites. They right. may be opening new sites. We keep discovering new sites at any rate. Now we're coming into the second summit. And Donald Trump boasts about the fact 
that he has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, we think by the Prime Minister of Japan, Mr. Abe. Uh, do we know that? And um, we, we, do we, we really, we, really <laughs> expect Donald Trump to walk away with a Nobel Peace Prize like Martin Luther King Jr.? I mean, I don't know. We don't. Uh, Mike Pence was at the Munich Security Conference over the weekend, and he dropped his standard line, um, and it is standard. I've listened to enough Pence remarks. Uh, usually somewhere near the top, he brings greetings from the 45th yeah, president oh. of the United States. He And clearly he's reading off the prompter in Munich this weekend, and it's an applause line at home because he's usually in front of a friendly audience. Uh, Pence looks down, I guess, at his notes and waits for the applause, and the room was silent. And there were Republican senators in that room, and they didn't applaud either. Which, <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. There so were, yeah. there's just not – I don't think there's the but, appetite around the world to give them the, the Nobel Peace Prize, but you would also have to see something. You would have to get inspectors on the ground in North Korea to verify that Kim is doing something to dismantle that program. It's not – you know, like you said, no tests doesn't necessarily mean anything if the technology is there and they've got it to a point where he could strike Japan or or Hawaii or Guam or even California. If he's got it, he's got it. Um, now, Vladimir Putin told the president that that Kim doesn't have it. So the president, um, if you uh, if you listen to Andrew McCabe, president believes Putin over the intelligence agencies. But no, I, I the world would have to see something from U.N. inspectors Um to, to give Trump the Nobel Prize. The reason Abe did this, Abe was the first one who stood in the East Room in 2017, and he figured the way to get close oh. to Trump was flattery. Yeah. And Abe cracked that code. He yeah. was the first one to do it. And he, he's been and, copied by other world leaders right. along the way. Uh, and he's still doing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's what this is about. He's trying to flatter Trump because he wants a trade deal. There you go. Okay. Well, um, we just hope the uh, members of the Nobel Peace Prize Committee uh, keep their senses and um, and don't embarrass us on the world front by by following, obviously. Hey, John, so much to talk about, and you got so much work to do, so we'll let you get back to the White House there. Uh, by the way, Sarah Huckabee Sanders says that that was a respectful moment of silence ah. that people were, were, were giving the President of the United States. That is certainly one way to look at it. That's her read. That's her spin. Zoe Tillman joins us next to talk about court and justice issues for BuzzFeed here on The Bill Press Show. Thanks, John Bennett. Roll Call. RollCall.com. We'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is. Here we go on Tuesday, February 19, uh, The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. Uh, that is Washington, D.C., last time we checked. And our studio on Capitol Hill were brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, those great men and women of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa. We all live better because of their good work. Uh, check on many fronts. Check out their website at teamster.org. And we welcome to the studio from BuzzFeed, covering court and justice issues, Zoe Tillman. It's always good to see you, as good always. You, Thanks for coming in. Uh, we've been uh, running with the breaking news this morning, uh, even before we went on the air, uh, early, early this morning on Vermont Public Radio, Senator Bernie Sanders announcing that he was indeed jumping into the race uh, for the Democratic nomination for 2020. Um, yeah, here's where he says he talks is. about why he's running. Why he's running. The president has got to do is bring our people together and not divide us up. And that's certainly one reason I'm, I'm running. And, and the second reason is, 
we began the political revolution in the 2016 campaign, and uh, now it's time to uh, move that revolution forward and make sure that those that vision, those ideas, are implemented into policy. All right, so we started the revolution in 2016, and we're going to finish it in 2020, says Senator Sanders. Uh, and we've been running a little poll this morning, Zoe, among our listeners and viewers. Peter? Yes, indeed. At BP Show is where the poll is, at BP Show you on You still Twitter. vote, right? It's will, yeah, vote. you can still vote uh, all day long, all day long. And the question is? Will you vote for Bernie 2020? 59% of you now say no. 30% of you say yes, me. and 11% <laughs> of you are still undecided. A couple of comments on this. Uh, Art says, yes, I will vote for Bernie Sanders and his progressive platform. Also, a lot of people have said they may not vote for Bernie in the primary, but if he is the candidate, they will absolutely vote for Bernie. Uh, Guy says, has he changed his party affiliation to a Democrat yet? And if not, then I will vote no. Um, also, uh, Fim Farrell says, I have a hard time saying no to Bernie. Uh, someone asks, why don't we have the option for hell no on the poll? <laughs> They're really all over the place. Everybody really is all over the place today. Uh, and also, uh, Samantha says, of course I will vote for Bernie. I have seen others get in and walk back Medicare for all. Uh, so Bernie, you know, started the Medicare for all fight. Uh, so they, they give him credit for that. Uh, one other uh, comment from Dragon Slayer, Bernie uh, saying Bernie is the best candidate so far, followed by Elizabeth Warren. If nothing else, hopefully they will both push the conversation further left as they win the nomination. Right. And Bernie already has. Pushed, he has pushed the conversation. Pushed the conversation yeah. left yeah. and succeeded. Mission accomplished in 2016, without a doubt. His initial uh, uh, initial mission, as I've talked to you about and I talked with him about, was to make sure that progressive issues uh, were raised and were front and center in the Democratic uh, uh, primary in 2016, uh, which, again, he certainly succeeded in doing, uh, ending up with um, his winning, I forget how many states, and 12 million-plus votes and over 1,000 delegates. And um, and really shaping the conversation in 2016. So and then and the party platform adopted at the convention, the most progressive party platform ever adopted. And you look at in 2018, Democrats picked up 40 House seats running on basically Medicare for all Bernie's platform. So I think the, my, my own feeling is I'm not ready to jump on any, for any candidate yet because I think the mission is to get rid of Donald Trump, and basically I'm interested in taking a closer look at, first of all, waiting till we see how many are in, who is in, how they do, what their message is, and which one is the strongest one to beat Donald Trump. And it could be Bernie Sanders. It could be Elizabeth Warren. It could be Joe Biden. I don't know right now. Um, But whatever, I think the message for 2020 is going to be Bernie Sanders' message. If he's a messenger, we don't know, but clearly it's going to be his message. Already is. Just about everybody supporting Medicare for all in some form. You know, Amy Klobuchar said last night is something we can look forward to in the future. Elizabeth Warren is saying something, we, and Bernie Sanders is saying something we can do today, right? Uh, at least incrementally, but, but get started today. So, uh, But the fact that, that Bernie's in the race, certainly I think he is now candidate number 11 so far now. Lost track. Yeah, right. And Peter, do we have a confirmation for tomorrow? 
Uh, looks like we have uh, presidential candidate Andrew yep. Yang on the show tomorrow morning. It looks like it. It's not to complete, definitely confirmed, but it looks like he's in tomorrow. Andrew Yang, uh, economist with a very progressive message uh, and an announced candidate for president. And um, stay tuned. Uh, hopefully we'll be joining us uh, tomorrow. Uh, but you're not on the political front. You're I on don't the... care about any of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can deal with other issues. So, all right, let's go back to the Mueller investigation. Let's not forget it's still going on. What's the latest with Paul Manafort? We should always start by saying Paul Manafort is still in jail, is where he is right now, where he's been since June um, still looking ahead to sentencing. So the latest news from last week, late last week, was we got the first sense of just how much prison time, federal prison time, he's really looking at going forward. And we had this memo Friday night from Mueller's office saying they see the range as between 19 and a half to 24 years in prison in one of his cases. He's 69? He's 69 currently. Right. And they say that should be neither here nor there. Financial crimes are often committed by older offenders who still get lengthy prison times because they committed serious crimes. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we're still going to hear from Paul Manafort's lawyers about where they see the range what they think he should get. Prosecutors have not advocated for a particular sentence. They're going to sort of leave that up to the judge, as they've done in other cases. But they've given us a feel for where they're at in terms of how much time they think he should get in just one of his cases. So there's also a second case out of the District of Columbia where they could add on more time on top of that. So even if he got the maximum 24 years, he's facing up to 10 in D.C., and that hmm. could be stacked. Right. So, you know, he could spend the rest of his life in prison. He could not. You know, the judge could go below these ranges. There's a lot of flexibility here. But we're, for the first time, really getting a feel for just how serious the situation is for him. And he will um, serve more time than he might have otherwise because he has uh, uh, lied to prosecutors as under his plea deal. That's right. right. Any benefit that he had hoped to get from pleading guilty, which is why you plead guilty, in a lot of cases, is you hope to get the support of the government at sentencing for them to say, yes, he cooperated. We think he should get a lower sentence. Right. And by the prosecutors coming in and saying he lied to us after signing his plea deal, we are now absolved of any obligation to support him at sentencing. We could, in fact, bring more charges against him if we wanted to down the road. So he's going to lose all the benefits and still has to stick with his guilty plea. Will President Trump pardon him? Certainly could. Um, I think there's a lot of speculation at this point, given just how much time it's now getting real, right? I mean, for the longest time, it was sort of yeah. this nebulous, yeah. right. you know, he's out there, the case is pending, and now it's suddenly a concrete set of numbers that he's looking at, and he could be pardoned. Um, it wouldn't stop him from potentially facing state crime charges. There's, you know, it wouldn't end things necessarily, and there's the fact that he would still lose a lot of his real estate. You can't be pardoned from forfeiture, from asset forfeiture. So right. there would be a financial toll regardless of what the president And it does. may not, it may just look like the president is using the pardon power for one of his cronies, but the optics may not be good, but Donald Trump doesn't care, right? He, he could do it anyway. I mean, he pardoned Joe Arpaio, who was yeah. certainly a yeah. very unpopular person. That was not a, a move that you make when you're trying to build a coalition around mm -hmm. you. Um, so he's shown a willingness to do that for unpopular folks before. I think the question now is, can he pardon both Paul Manafort and Roger Stone? 
Yeah, well, there's now. Yeah, it gets around. The field is getting crowded. Uh, this week's New Yorker magazine has an incredible article by our good friend uh, uh, Jeff Tubin from CNN about Roger Stone and Jerome Corsi. Uh, talk about snakes, <laughs> you know, the both of them. And they've worked together to try to get some information out of WikiLeaks, but now they hate each other and they've they both filed lawsuits against each other, right? Right. So Jerome Corsi is suing Roger Stone, Roger Stone. in federal court. Corsi is also suing Robert Mueller in federal court. They have shared enemies as well mm-hmm. as being enemies yeah. themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Jerome Corsi is saying- But Roger Stone has been charged by the special prosecutor. Jerome Corsi has not. That's right. Yet. Yes. There was some speculation. There, Corsi had released documents saying he had been offered a plea deal. He right. testified, you know, he was called in to testify before the grand jury. He's certainly in the orbit, very close orbit of all of these cases, but he himself has not been charged with any crimes. So he was offered a plea deal, but he didn't take it. Right. Which means they could go after him still. He's right? still out there. You know, there's no agreement that we're aware of, you know, in terms of a non prosecution deal. Um, but, you know, to the extent he is now at odds with Roger Stone, that potentially makes him an ally. This is all very strange bedfellows that it this is. whole situation but, has created. But well, and you be. add the stranger bedfellow with uh, Julian Assange, right? right. So um, what seems it, it, it all revolves around their efforts to find out from WikiLeaks what WikiLeaks had on Hillary Clinton and maybe pass that on to the Trump campaign. Right. If they did so, and Wick and Assange was getting the information from Russia, I guess that's collusion, right? That's that's the clearest line that we've seen so far in terms of you know building these cases and stacking them together. You know they they charged the Russian hackers, <clears throat> excuse me, right, who hacked the DNC, who got the information, who were the who were the Guccifer 2.0 persona online that gave this information to WikiLeaks. We now have Roger Stone charged with lying about having intermediaries like Jerome Corsi going through to WikiLeaks, communicating with WikiLeaks. Um, Roger Stone has still denied that he communicated directly with Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, um, and WikiLeaks has denied direct contacts with Roger Stone. But the big question is, you know, when Stone is talking to the campaign, what are they telling him? What is he telling them about what Corsi is telling him? And Assange is telling Corsi. So we have these lines being drawn. The question is, do they connect, you know, WikiLeaks to the campaign? How direct is that connection? Or is it just a bunch of dominoes that happen to all fall in one direction, but actually, you know, weren't acting in concert together? That's really the big question. Right. Um, uh, I saw an article, I think it's on Politico this morning, that makes the point that, so Donald Trump has, for the last two years, it's been a relentless um, barrage of criticism uh, against Robert Mueller and the investigation and witch hunt and dreamed up by the Democrats because they won't accept the legitimacy of his presidency. It goes on and on and on to the point where people thought he might fire, try to fire Mueller or all, all of that. But but whatever he can do in terms of as president against Robert Mueller and the Justice Department, maybe even trying to keep the, his, if Mueller issues a final report, trying to keep it quiet or whatever. The point is, he has that authority over 
the possibility of, of, of action against the Justice Department. He doesn't have the same freedom when it comes to the U.S. attorney in New York, does he? He technically does. In theory, you know, the Southern District of New York is under the purview of the attorney general. Um, he, you know, has control over who leads that office, the main political appointee. Because a good part of these investigations are taking place outside of Robert Mueller. He's yes. basically delegated a lot of it to the U.S. Yes. attorney in New York. That's right. Southern District of New York. Which has a history it. of acting very independently. It seeds itself as the right. sovereign district of New York. So in terms of both perception and some reality, it is separate from Maine Justice and the, the arm's reach of the president. But he could fire the U.S. attorney there, I guess, right? right? Who is window. not a Senate-confirmed person. This is someone who, Jeffrey Berman, uh, who has been, have been brought in by Jeff Sessions to lead that office, but the president has not tried to get a nominee through the Senate. Um, so right now he actually has more control in some ways over the operation of that office. It's not a sort of an independently confirmed actor Yet. Uh -huh. leading it. Um, but yeah, it is it is it is farther away. And I think the physical distance from DC has helped SDNY feel more independent than say the US Attorney's Office in Washington, which has always been really connected with the administration, with the party in power. There's a lot more overlap. That revolving door spins a lot more quickly in Washington through that office. Um, and SDNY just has that reputation. What, so. what is that acronym you're using? S? Oh, the Southern District of New York. Oh, S-D-N-Y. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I knew what you were talking about. I just was starting to remember what the words could, mean, could stand for. Southern District of New York. Yeah. Okay. yeah, so we've seen Mueller spinning off parts of his investigation, not just to New York, but also to Washington. Roger Stone's case is being jointly prosecuted with prosecutors here in D.C. They've actually taken the lead in court. And the idea, you know, is if and when Mueller's office shutters voluntarily or not, there are other offices already in the mix familiar with these cases to continue going forward. Right. Now, let's start with the premise that nobody knows, okay? Yes, always. But still, what is your read on, you just used the phrase, when the Robert Mueller shutters his investigation? Shutters, not shutters, not D, but T. Right. Um, Washington shutters. <laughs> right. <laughs> is he close to it, or do we know? I don't think we know. You know, there have been a couple prosecutors who have left and gone back uh, to their old jobs at the Justice Department, which was expected. Um, different members of his office had different um, portfolios, and when those cases resolved, there was no reason to keep going. Mm -hmm. um, but the main prosecutors are still there. You're, you know, Andrew Weissman, Greg Andres, really the big names, Jeannie Ree, all of these very accomplished prosecutors are still there. They're still working. We still have folks cooperating. Rick Gates is just kind of floating out there until he is done cooperating. He's not going to be sentenced, and we mm -hmm. haven't gotten an indication of whether they're done with him. He was, you know, on the inauguration. He was on the campaign. He was with Paul Manafort. He really touches all of these things, and he's still out there, and we don't know what he's doing or who he's talking to. Um, and we have these other players like Jerome Corsi, these stone-affiliated people who are also out there, haven't been charged. We don't know who they're talking to. Um, and then you've got these pending prosecutions like Roger Stone. If that goes to trial, we're looking yeah. at the fall. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is going to go the whole rest of the year. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's hard to say when exactly he'll be done. And the final thing is, just because he's done, he then needs to write a report. And 
transmit that and sort of the fallout, deal with the fallout from whatever it means to be done. Right. So Rod Rosenstein is appointed by Donald Trump. He's a U.S. attorney. He's appointed by Donald Trump as the deputy attorney general of the United States in February 2017. Yes. Within a month or so, according to Andrew McCabe, he is so concerned about Donald Trump's firing of James Comey that not once but twice he raises the possibility in two different meetings of wearing a wire the next time he meets with the president of the United States or maybe even, I guess they went over the roster of the members of the cabinet seeing if they could round up enough votes to invoke the 25th Amendment. Yeah, I mean, Rod Rosenstein, the Justice Department has said that he was not being serious. They've really pushed back hard against this narrative about how much weight to give what may have been offhand comments or misconstrued. Um, They've come out quite hard against Andrew McCabe, um, who's sort of persona non grata across the Trump administration. You know, he wasn't just in trouble with Trump. He was in trouble at the FBI. The inspector general's office found that he wasn't truthful to James Comey, among other people. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of... So can we believe Andrew McCabe? As much as we can believe anyone, as much as you you want to believe Rod Rosenstein, you can believe Rod Rosenstein, you can believe Andrew McCabe. But Rod Rosenstein does, yeah, his his backing (laughs) away is not total denial. I never, never said talked about wearing a wire. I never, never suggested or raised the issue or the possibility of the 25th Amendment. He doesn't... No, there has not been that kind of direct, clear denial. It's been the story is false, Mm -hmm. they'll say generally, and then they'll say something like, I think the statement was, you know, the deputy attorney general does not believe there was any cause to invoke the 25th Amendment. That doesn't get to whether he ever brought it up. It's just saying... It wasn't serious. It's trying to telegraph that even if it did come up in conversation, he wasn't he didn't mean it or it was a joke or they're just spitballing. It's not really clear, you know, what the context was. So, you know, you can believe Andrew McCabe. You can believe the Justice Department. You can believe Rod Rosenstein. You can believe James Comey. Ah, I take it all with a grain of salt. You know, a lot and a lot of these accounts are based on memos that these folks wrote at the time, but it's not like there are recordings. We don't have the tape that we know of to see, you know, who was saying what. And and it's worth noting that even Andrew McCabe has walked back some of the characterizations of what he said. You know, there was the initial flurry of, oh, he said there were multiple meetings about uh, invoking the 25th Amendment or wearing mm-hmm. a wire. And then his people put out a statement saying, no, no, there was, you know, one meeting or it came up one time. And he thought it was significant. So I think there's there's a danger in trying to read too much into one person's recollection of a conversation two years ago. That's, right. I always am a bit skeptical of trying to read too much into that. It's just that when you add up Comey's testimony, Comey's book, that um, he was concerned that the president was just trying to basically interfere with the work of the Department of Justice and yes. asking him to shut down investigation. And then he fires him. And then Trump tells Lester Holden and tells the Russian ambassador, I fired Comey because, you know, I basically I was feeling the heat and I wanted to get that Russian monkey off my back. You know, 
And then you, now you have an Andrew McCabe saying, yeah, we were so concerned that this would be obstruction of justice, that, that he might be cooperating with the Russians against the interests of the United States. It's extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, right, to right. the extent there was any conversation of the 25th Amendment or wearing a wire. It makes Richard Dixon look like a it's choir extraordinary. boy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we're getting into really serious stuff here. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, Michael Cohen, um, not going to get a pardon. According no. to Lanny Davis yesterday, do we have time for that? I guess we do. Real quick. He wouldn't take a pardon if Trump pleaded with him to take it. <laughs> Why? Because it would be dirty. Why? Because the man giving the pardon is dirty. <clears throat> the rehabilitation of Michael Cohen. <laughs> Attempted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. On his way to federal prison on yes. March 6th. Yes. Um, yeah. I think that that relationship is dead. Whatever closeness they had is gone. And I think if Michael Cohen wants, he sees you know, his post-prison life as needing to be free of any connection to the president. And, and I, boy, I, I believe there's still lots that Michael Cohen hasn't told us yet. Yeah. Yes. I'm waiting for his book. Right. <laughs> Written he, from prison. He has time. <laughs> All right. Hey, Zoe, thanks so much for coming in. Sure you thing. can follow Zoe at BuzzFeed, buzzfeed.com. All right. The rest of the day is yours. We'll be here tomorrow. Looking for you. Press show.